My name is Jacob, and I'm the preaching minister here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. We're going to be continuing on in our series called We Go Together, with emphasis on the we. Let's all say it with emphasis on the we. We go together. Not everybody said it. Let's try that again. Close enough. We will take it. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, continuing on through chapter 1. So make your way in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's past the Gospels, past the Corinthian letters, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Boom, right there. That's what we're going to be listening to this morning. Um, before we do that, and while you're making your way over there, I just want to mention something that's sort of like a housekeeping thing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Houston, Texas, because they uh, invited me to guest preach there. I actually got to take Molly with me. It was a really cool experience. Next week, I'm not going to be here because there's a church in Fresno that asked me to preach for them because their minister's out of town. And so the whole Parnell clan is going to go down, stay overnight in Fresno, and then uh, preach for them, and then we'll be back the following week. That's good news for you because you get to hear Justin preach from Ephesians 2 next week. I don't know if you're clapping for Ephesians or for Justin, but they're, they're both great. Um, <laughs> well, I wanted to take a moment to say, in case you're wondering if I'm interviewing for a job at another church, I am not. Uh, I haven't interviewed, I'm not planning to, I haven't updated my resume or anything like that. And I, I, You might not be thinking that, but I've, I've heard some things. I think some things are floating around and people are at least wondering if that's something that's going on. And I just want to say, that's not what's going on. We love you guys, uh, we are here, and we're not planning on going anywhere. And if something like that, if you ever wonder about, like, why are you going to Houston, or, like, what's going on, just come and ask me, and I'll shoot you straight. If I am interviewing, I will tell you the truth. I'll be like, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm glad you asked. Um, but uh, I'll be honest, and, and you can ask me those things, and ask each other things if you're uncertain about, like, why is this like this? Let's be connected. We go together. So let's have honest conversations with each other. So some of you were like, oh, good. Jacob's not going anywhere. Some of you were like, man, that was, that was our chance to get somebody else. But uh, either way, we're going to be in Ephesians 1 today. Let's, uh, let's sing together. I'll go back to a song that we sang a little bit before. We're going to sing because it's going to prepare us to receive this word. And not just hear it, because you can hear a sermon, you can read a scripture, but we're going to do something with it. We're going to ask God to reveal something to us this morning. So let's sing. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him, and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. There was a man who was traveling for business. He felt like he was doing a good job in his career. He had had some recent su success in what he was doing, and he hoped, as he was traveling to this new region, he hoped that he would be doing a good job there as well. He had just about arrived at his destination when something happened to him. He got knocked over out of nowhere. It startled him. 
He's on the ground. He doesn't know what's going on. And he hears a voice, somebody that he doesn't recognize. It's a stranger's voice. The stranger seems to know him because he uses his name twice, but the stranger didn't offer to help him up. And he's just thinking, what's going on here? But the stranger asks the man on the ground, what exactly do you think you're doing? And the man on the ground finally says, uh, who are you? Who am I talking to here? And the voice says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. The man on the ground couldn't see for three days. He had to be led around by his traveling companions. And he went to see a man who prayed for him. And something like scales fell from his eyes, and he could see again. He was actually seeing more clearly now than ever before, not just his vision, but what he was doing with his life. And he was taught the faith. He was baptized into Christ. And his life was never the same after that. You probably recognize this story. This is what happened to Paul, the author of Ephesians. And as we're going to see in the scripture today, Paul is praying for other Christians that the same thing that happened to him will happen to them as well. That what happened to him will happen to us. And we should pause before we get into the text and ask ourselves, are you okay with that? Is this a prayer that you want Paul praying for you? Normally, when someone says, I'm praying for you, you're, you're thinking, great, that's fantastic. I appreciate that you're thinking about me. Hopefully you're praying for something that I've asked for, that I, that I want in my life. But when Paul prays for us, he's praying, Lord, make their lives more like mine. So ask yourself this morning, do you want to get knocked to the ground? Do you want to make a career change? Do you want to have your life and your schedule drastically changed in a way that could sacrifice your comfort and your safety? Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
here we get another outpouring of thought from the Apostle Paul. It's another run-on sentence, where it's just one thought stacked on top of the next thought. Last week, we looked at the, the previous section, and I stated that uh, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, is the longest single sentence in the New Testament, if you're referring to the Greek language. Well, guess what the second longest single sentence in the New Testament is? It's this section. <laughs> it's all just one idea. It's one prayer that Paul is pouring out. And it basically boils down to this. Paul is praying for believers to have their eyes opened so that they can see Jesus. I was spending time in this passage, and I was thinking about the, the pattern of thought that develops, and it's, it's actually pretty linear the way that I'm thinking about it. So I, I wanted to put it up here in sort of a visual way. I'm a visual person. So we're going to kind of see uh, what this prayer is, what it's for, because it's, it's, I want you to have wisdom and revelation so that you can do this, so that it will prepare you to do this, so that you'll go in this direction. So this, this slide will help us get there. But he begins with a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, things being revealed to you, maybe having your blind spots revealed, shown to you. Do you like it when somebody tells you something that you don't know or points out something to you that you might not be aware of? I kind of do. It's helpful in certain situations. If your, your zipper's not all the way up, You've, been, you've got food in your teeth, and you're smiling a lot. It's like, ooh, ooh, come here. Let me. Hopefully, discreetly, you can tell me those things. And I'd rather know those things than not know those things. There's other blind spots that we maybe are not as excited to hear about. Maybe there's some things in our lives that we know should change, but uh, we're not interested in hearing it because that means we'd actually have to do something about it. Like, maybe you've known somebody who's put off going to the doctor, when everybody says, you need to go to the doctor, and they're like, nah, I don't want to go because I know what the doctor's going to tell me. I'm going to have to make a lifestyle change or stop doing something that I love doing. So they prefer to remain in the dark on these things. How you deal with your blind spots kind of determines what you're going to do with the information you don't know. I was praying with Tom and Justin this past weekend at Daybreak Camp we are uh, doing what I've asked all of us to participate in, which is take the scriptures that we preach on, that I preach usually on Sunday mornings, uh, and spend time in them, pray them, and then write a response prayer to God. We were sharing our response prayers together. I shared mine, and it, it was great. You probably could have guessed that it was awesome. <laughs> then Justin starts sharing his prayer, and a blind spot was revealed to me without him even realizing that he was doing it. See, my prayer was all about... God, it's just like Paul poured out praise to you. I'm praising you for the good gifts. And I started listening. You've given me this, and you've given me this, and you've given me this. And I forgot about the fact that some preacher somewhere said that this is not just written to an individual. This is a letter that's written to a group of people. That's the we in we go together. Justin started sharing his prayer, and it was all about we and us. And I went, oh, yeah, I should have known that. <laughs> So sometimes, having your blind spot revealed to you can be a humbling thing. But Paul says, it's important that you have a spirit of revelation so that you can know God better. Your eyes should be open. Why? So that you can know God better. Paul is pretty clear that having his eyes opened to know the work of God through Jesus Christ was the single best thing that ever happened to him. He says it in this letter. He says it in most of his letters. He states it pretty clearly here in Philippians chapter 3. Let me read this section for you. 
Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to, what's the word there? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to atta- attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, it is so important for you to know God in Jesus Christ. A lot of times, Christians will settle for knowing about God rather than really, truly knowing him. We will study him, and we will memorize facts about God, and we can, we can teach about God even, but we don't spend time in his presence. We do a lot of talking to God, but we don't often just sit and listen for what he has to share with us. And in the dating world, in the relationship arena, we call that kind of person a stalker. And it's frowned upon in society to be somebody who, I know all this stuff about you, but I've never met you. I've never seen you. That's, that's pretty creepy. We don't want to have that kind of relationship with God. Paul tries to explain to people who are satisfied with their current level of God knowledge that his prayer for them is that they know God and that they know how valuable this gift, this grace that he gives, truly is. And so knowing God means discovering the gifts that he left for you, the things that he wants you to have as a believer and interact with. And he lists them here in this prayer. He says, the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and then power. These are some things that maybe we don't think about. These are some things that if you're in Christ, you have access to, but maybe we didn't realize it. But these are some good things. It kind of reminds me of an old episode of the show Cheers. You guys ever used to watch Cheers? That's a good show. It holds up. There was an episode where the billionaire boyfriend of Rebecca Howe, do you remember his name? Robin Colcord. He had a British accent. He was super wealthy. He'd pop into the bar every once in a while. Well, there was this one episode where he revealed to the gang at Cheers that as a billionaire, he hides money at places that he goes to a lot, just as a safety precaution, because he's got so much money, he doesn't know what to do with it. And then he leaves, and the gang starts thinking, hey, do you think that he ever hid money here in the bar? Have we been sitting on it this whole time? And the rest of the episode, they tear the bar apart looking for it, and they're so excited just at the possibility of what they could find, something that had been left for them, something that had been there all along, and they just didn't realize it. But if they found it, oh man, they would use it. That's what Paul is hoping to reveal to Christians. There is hope. There are riches. There is power in being baptized into Jesus Christ. Do we realize that? You might think about that and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel rich. I don't feel powerful. Quite the opposite a lot of the time. I've given my life to Christ And I didn't automatically turn into Robin Colcord. I'm not even Sam Malone. I feel more like Cliff Clavin a lot of the time, the dorky mailman that's the butt of everyone's jokes. You might say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I don't really know who I'm supposed to be. That's okay. I think a lot of people are in that place. An identity crisis can be a common thing, especially in our world and in our 
culture. We go day to day trying to figure out our value or to justify our existence. And a lot of times we listen too much to the world that tells us that riches translates to money. Power equals influence and control. And inheritance, well, that's some stuff that I'm hoping to get for free. And if that's my purpose, if that's who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do with my life, then I shouldn't be surprised that I come away feeling empty. A lot of times we mix up who God says we are with who the world says we ought to be. And here Paul helps us sort this out. I love about Paul. He doesn't just tell you what you've got. He tells you who you are because of Christ. And the word that he uses to describe you, if you're in Christ, is the word saints. It's such a good word, but we don't use it very often anymore. It's kind of lost its meaning. Paul uses saints. He's talking about people who are in Christ. This is how he begins the letter, Ephesians 1, 1, 2, God's holy people. The word is saints. You're in Christ. You're the church. You are a saint. You might think, I don't feel like a saint. We use the word saint. We think, well, saint is like the top tier of super good Christ-following people. The Catholic Church has this whole process for, for canonizing someone as a saint. Uh, you have to have died, so good luck becoming a saint uh, in that process. You, there's, they'll look through files of accomplishments, and they'll submit names for a recommendation, and then they'll, they'll actually take a lot of people and say, ah, no, they're not a saint. We're, we're going to return to that one later. That person's not a saint. And if that's the process that we expect when it comes to being a saint, then of course none of us are going to be saints. Or we use the term sarcastically. We don't really have a lot of value in the word saint. Sometimes I'll say, oh, I went ahead and ate the last cookie because I didn't want you to find it and have to eat a stale cookie. And you'll say, oh, you're such a saint. Not really meaning what it means. Paul says, you are. You are God's holy people. That means you, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how you feel about yourself, this is how Christ sees you. You're a saint. You get to deal with that. Paul's prayer is, open your eyes. See what God thinks of you and live into that. You are a saint. God is with you. His spirit is within you. When our eyes have been opened to that, the things that he's left for us, the, the, the riches, the power, the fact that we are saints in his eyes, what are we going to do about it? When you realize that you have something that is tremendously valuable, when you have the same power in you that raised Jesus from the dead, what are you going to do about it? That's our question. Are we going to do anything about it? But Paul has a suggestion for us. I couldn't help myself. I had to jump ahead a little bit in Ephesians. I skipped over to chapter 4 to help us figure this out. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When you discover who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, what are you supposed to do about it? You're supposed to change. Old self, new self. Change. You become a new creation. The things you used to do, you don't do anymore. You don't hold grudges anymore. You don't respond to violence with more violence. You develop a habit of forgiveness. You become generous. You grow in your compassion and selflessness. 
And when you look around a church that's responding to this, you can tell that God's spirit is at work when you hear people say things like, you know, I'm, I'm less short-tempered with my family than I used to be. They're not any less difficult to live with or annoying, but something is changing in me. When you hear somebody say, I'm less anxious, I'm less worried than I used to be, and my circumstances haven't changed, but something is happening in me. That power from the Spirit is being accessed. I got a text from somebody this week that says, I want to spend more time in prayer, but not talking to God, but just listening, sitting in silence. He said, I've been doing this, and it's been helping. I said, that's awesome. That's that power that Paul was talking about. When I hear somebody say, I'm a very private person, I'm a very shy person, but for some reason, I got this wild hair and I invited my neighbor over because I, I love them and I want them to know the Jesus that I've come to know. I say, that is God's spirit. That's the power at work among us. It's the power that changed Jesus from criminal to Christ, from dead to alive, from entombed to enthroned. That power is in you. And you get to use it. God put it in you. But when I say you, you guys already know how to translate that. It's not you singular, it's what? It's y'all. You plural. It's you, the saints, the body of Christ as a collective. I like going to Texas because they actually say y'all. They're not uh, ironic about it at all. Y'all. Lisa and I used to live in New Jersey, and people also without irony would say, use guys. I love that. Use guys going to come later? Like, yeah, I'll come now if you keep calling me use guys. <laughs> so when we hear you, we translate it us. This is the we, and we go together. The verse, uh, the last verse in the text we're looking at this morning says this, last two verses. God placed all things under his feet, this is Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, and it's the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's exciting. question for us is, are we going to live into that? Are we, as a body, interested in becoming a new creation? Are we interested in letting the power of God's Spirit transform us and remake us, not just individually, but also corporately? Last week, Lisa and I watched the movie Captain Marvel, which is a superhero movie. It was pretty good. About two-thirds of the way through the movie, the main character confesses that she doesn't know who she is. A lot of things happen to her, reveal some identity about her, or some uh, information about her past, and she's just confused. She's like, I don't know who I am. And then her best friend looks at her and says, I'll tell you who you are. She explains to her, it doesn't matter what, what you've been or who got a hold of you or who brainwashed you, like, this is who you truly are. Breakthrough moment, and she realized who she was, and then she realized that she now can go and do what needs to be done in the story. As I was thinking about this, I realized this happens in a lot of superhero movies, or a, I mean, any story with a protagonist, there's a good chance that they're going to, I don't know who I am, and then they figure it out, and then the whole third act of the story is them going and doing something about it. That's the, that's the important part, is you actually have to go and do something once you figure out the answer to the question. Typically, you don't see a superhero discovering who they are and the power that they have and then going right back to their old way of life. Like, I am Captain Marvel. I can go and save all those people. 
but I'm gonna go sit on the couch and eat some chips. Because that's what I like to do and that's where I'm comfortable. Now I think, going back to the linear thought, opening your eyes, knowing God, you can understand what it means to be in Christ, who you are, the, the treasure, the power, the riches, the, what that really means, leads to doing something about it. And the short way of saying that is it leads to change. And in this church in the last couple of weeks, I've been hearing people kind of focus in on change and talking about change. People don't like change and, oh, you know, we got to do change slowly and carefully. And I feel a little less apologetic about it. I feel like if you are in Christ, you should expect change to happen. You should expect transformation. You should not get too comfortable in the same place. I feel like change, as we're talking about us, corporately, has more to do with just what time we start our worship services or what we invite women to do from the microphone in a worship service. I think when it comes to changing as a church the way that we ought to, I'm talking more about a foundational shift in our understanding of what it means to be the church and to take this seriously, to go out and make disciples. And it may, the result of that may be a drastic change to your life and your schedule that threatens your comfort and your safety. So when Paul is praying this for you, I want your life to change. I want you to get knocked down. I want your eyes to be opened, and then I want you to do something about it. We need to ask ourselves again, is that a prayer that we want Paul to be praying for us? Can we hand it back and say, no, thank you. I'm not going to listen to Paul. I'm going to close Ephesians, and I'm going to listen to some other church leader. Well, who are you going to listen to? Well, Jesus. Jesus is more authoritative than Paul anyway. Jesus' life changed a lot. Jesus suffered a lot. He was less than comfortable most of the time. Okay, well, maybe not Jesus, then uh, we'll read Isaiah. Okay, same story. Okay, then uh, maybe Job. No, not Job. Maybe Abraham. No, not Abraham. Moses? Ah, uh, who do you got? The story of the Bible is God involved in people's lives, them responding positively, and then their lives being dumped upside down. I just, this is what we're signing on for. This is the reality. When it comes to change, like, ooh, 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 things are going to change, whether we like, like it or not. We want to make godly changes. And I don't know, this is hard for me because I am a particularly comfortable person. People ask me how I'm doing, and I go like, I'm great. All my needs are taken care of. My daughters are adorable and fun and sweet. They haven't started talking back too much yet. And I, can, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I've got... Uh, I'm very comfortable. So it's understandable if we want to hand this back and say, no, I prefer things the way that they are. And this is why it takes prayer. This is why Paul is praying for us to have our eyes opened and then hoping that we'll respond positively when they are. So let's sing this one more time. If you're up for it. If not, be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, somewhere else that's not looking at Ephesians, that's not listening to Paul, whose life got changed in a major way. We're going to sing, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. And then we'll have the praise team come back up and lead us in a song. See how much, like, I know what's going to happen. I love 
being in charge and like predicting things, but I gotta be ready for that not to be the case. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. God, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for these saints. I ask that you will open our eyes, that you will lead us, that you will point us in the direction that we should be looking, that we should be walking, that we should be praying, that we should be following in the steps of Jesus the Lord. Thank you for this good word from Ephesians. Thank you for Paul and his faithfulness. <sighs> My prayer for myself is that I'm more comfortable with doing things that I don't want to do, doing things that I've expected other people to do. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to change. Things are good. But Lord, we pray with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. And let us be open to being used for your kingdom purposes. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.